cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church. So I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity. Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. <clears throat> this is the Holy Hour of Power. This is going to be high-energy Catholic radio, not low-energy Catholic radio. We have a great conversation in the second, third, and fourth segment. The great conversation that we're going to be having is with the authors of a new book called The Greater Reset, put out by Tan. Uh, the authors are Don Brohan and Michael Greeny. It's going to have a very, very interesting conversation with them on their new book, The Greater Reset. But as for now, let us let me start off with a preparatory novena prayer for the consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God, and our most tender mother, Look down upon the distress in which the church and all humanity finds itself due to the spread of godlessness, materialism, and the persecution of the Catholic faith, errors of which you warned in Fatima. You are the mediatrix of all graces. Obtain for us the grace that all the bishops of the world, in union with the Pope, may consecrate Russia and Ukraine to your Immaculate Heart on March 25th, 2022. By this consecration, we hope, as you told us in Fatima, that at the time appointed by God, Russia will be converted and mankind will be granted an era of peace. We hope that by this consecration, the triumph of your Immaculate Heart will soon draw near and the Church will be authentically renewed in the splendor of the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of the liturgy, and the holiness of the Christian life. O Queen of the Holy Rosary and our most tender mother, Turn your merciful eyes towards the Pope, the bishops, and each of us, and graciously hear our fervent and trusting prayer. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Just a reminder that the month of March is a month devoted to St. Joseph, patron saint of workers, families, homes, and a happy death. Also, St. Joseph is known by a title, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. It's a good prayer to attach to all your, your morning, your midday, and your evening prayers. Just invoke St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, throughout your routine of prayer. Once again, I want to give you a little bit of good news. A little good news item. The USA has more adoration chapels than the entire world. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. The United States of America has more adoration chapels than the entire world. This represents great hope for America. Uh, once again, although I know St. John Paul II is called the time that we live in the culture of death, we can turn this ship around by promoting the culture of life. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in the second, third, and fourth segment. We're going to be talking to some authors, Don Brohan and Michael Greeny, on their new book. It's called... The Greater Reset, it's, uh, it's a new book put out by 10. We'll be talking about that on the second segment. Just want to share with you today's gospel, what I call soul food. Every single day at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, God speaks to us. And in today's holy gospel from the gospel of St. Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 and 23, the gospel tells us the following. Jesus 
was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the crowds were amazed. Some of them said, by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he drives out demons. Others to test him asked him for a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, notice, but he knew their thoughts. Only God knows somebody's thoughts. This is, once again, a demonstration of his divinity. The Bible goes on to say in today's gospel, Every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste, and the house will fall against house. And if Satan is divided against himself, how will, his, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that it is by Beelzebul that I drive out demons. If I then drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own people drive them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But, but if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his possessions are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor on which he relied and distributes the spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. That's today's gospel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things that we can draw out, we can glean from today's gospel that would help us as Catholic Christians uh, live out our Lenten our, our Lenten monastic ascetical practices even better. Something that jumps out at me is in verse 15 where the Lord says that he cast out demons. Notice that our Lord Jesus Christ, he's forcing his opponents to decide for themselves whether he's empowered by God or the devil. In other words, he doesn't leave them any neutral ground for them to stand upon. Now, Beelzebul, that's a derogatory name for Satan. It's, uh, Beelzebul is actually linked to a pagan idol worship at Ekron, back in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2. Another verse that jumps out at me is when our Lord says that he drives the de demons out by the finger of God. So what does the finger of God mean in Scripture? Well, the Holy Spirit, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 700, the Holy Spirit's the finger of God. We, ask, we also know that in Matthew 12, 28, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the finger of God. So our Lord Jesus Christ in today's gospel, he alludes back to Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, where Pharaoh's magicians finally confess that their own sorcery has been outmatched by the power of Yahweh. And so Jesus, likewise, the Son of God, he wields divine power that's far superior to that of other exorcists on his day. Remember, the Jews also had exorcists. But when Christ came upon the world scene, the Old Testament covenant was uh, had basically had been fulfilled and had passed away. Now, now the Old Testament gives way to the New Testament. Something else that also jumps out at me is in verse 22, where our Lord calls himself one stronger. Who's the one stronger? That's a reference to Jesus. It is Jesus who overthrows Satan and plunders his house. Uh, and that's, again, the devil's called the strong man, but the gospel calls the Lord Jesus Christ the stronger one. That's an important thing for us to remember because I think a lot of people oftentimes, they uh, have this, this uh, mistaken notion of, of who Christ is. And what I mean by that is, I've seen this meme on the internet. I think it's put out by Protestants. It has our Lord Jesus Christ and the devil arm wrestling. Like if they're equals. It's not true. That's heresy. Jesus is divine. The, dev the devil is a fallen angel. He's a preternatural being. And so let's not forget that our Lord Jesus Christ, he came to the earth to destroy the works of the devil. That's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. And also, we know that the devil is the author of death, but we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to bring us life and life in abundance. Unfortunately, many brothers and sisters, many Christians live today as if, as if uh, the promise of Jesus giving us eternal life is something in the future. No, the promise is for here and now. If you're not enjoying living in a state of sanctifying grace, there's privileges to following Jesus right now. And so it's, it's sad when people think that the promises of Christ are future tense. No, the promises are right now. Listen to Jesus in today's gospel. He says, 
No one can enter a strong man's house to plunder his, to plunder his property unless the, the, the first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Well, who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan. Who's the stronger man? It's Jesus. So what am I telling you? You must give Jesus all the keys in your home, your health, your family, your finances, your job, your tools, your possessions, your food, and your future. Remember, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, we can feel His glory even now. And let's not forget, what is needed is trust. Repeat throughout the day, if you start feeling despondent or, de or depressed or in despair, say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Okay. On the next segment, we're going to have a great, uh, two great authors that are coming on. Uh, they wrote a well-researched book from Tan Books. It's called The Greater Reset. This is one of those books that's a must-read because this is exactly, we're living right now in the time as uh, Klaus Schwab and, and others, uh, Yurel uh, Harai, or Yuval Harai says, we are living at the time of the Great Reset. So we want to get a Catholic perspective of what this means for us. So we're going to bring on two authors of a book called The Greater Reset. And this exceptional read proposes how Catholics and all Christians must reclaim personal sovereignty under natural law based on the destructive narrative of the Great Reset, pushed by the elites like Klaus Schwab and uh, even uh, uh, you know President Biden and many others. So, using the just way that all people can freely live and work and pray in the marketplace, we're going to be uh, asking some deep dive questions of uh, Don Brohan and Michael Greeny on uh, segment number two, three, and four. The book is called The Greater Reset. If there's one book that everybody should buy right now, it, it, it could. This book is the most relevant book that you can buy today. So, stay tuned. Up next, we've got the two authors of The Greater Reset. Outstanding read. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we come to understand. According to St. Augustine, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. May God grant us a strong living faith in Him and His divine plan of salvation and help us to believe so that we may understand. This is a Catechetical Minute from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Mary, the All-Holy Ever-Virgin Mother of God, is the masterwork of the mission of the Son and the Spirit in the fullness of time. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 721. From the moment of the Incarnation, the Son and the Spirit work together to bring about our redemption. At that moment, Mary is made the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and the Mother of God, a double honor unique in all creation. Holy Mary, Mother of God and Spouse of the Holy Spirit, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. This has been a Catechetical Minute, from Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. 
If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We've got two amazing guests, uh, Michael Greeny and Don Brohan. They wrote a book. It's called The Greater Reset, Reclaiming Personal Sovereignty Under Natural Law. Welcome to the show, Michael and Don. Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Before I ask you some questions, let me just share with uh, the, the release from Tan, that, that, that small little narrative. It says, from a hidden spark in the early days of 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic soon soared across the nation. Rather than uniting people to defeat a common enemy, the pandemic has widened economic, political, and social divisions everywhere. The pandemic has also surfaced proposals to remake the global economy and society. Is the Great Reset the malevolent scheme of a vast global elite to control the lives of ordinary people or a well-intentioned but dangerously misguided approach to correct systemic ills? How will the dignity, freedom, and power of each human person be protected and promoted when universal human rights and their transcendent source have been rendered irrelevant? In this book, the authors trace the historical, religious, political, and economic roots of humanity's perilous condition and how returning to God-given universal principles of natural law can help build a more just, liberating, prosperous, and hopeful future for every person. That's the TAN release. Uh, I can't wait to get into the book. So uh, Don and, and Michael, whoever wants to go f- first, what does the title of your book, The Greater Reset, mean? I mean, is it a play on words from The Great Reset? The Greater Reset. Explain to us the title of the book. Yes, uh, I'll take a first shot at that. And thank you very much for your introduction. Um, as you noted, it does relate to The Great Reset. And it is a challenge. And it is also a question to all of us that when we... Uh, create our social institutions, will they bring us together or will they divide us? And we have to start with fundamental principles, universal principles that come from a transcendent source. So I think in listening to your comments about the gospel you, you were talking about in the previous segment, you were talking about the dangers of a house divided. And we could see now probably more than I can remember in in my lifetime, people are fearful of each other. Um, You see hatreds coming out. And I would say that um, from a Christian perspective, uh, that is not how God meant us to live uh, as individuals and together in society. So when we talk about the greater reset, we're saying, first of all, what was being proposed in that first book was not a true reset at all. It is merely uh, a repackaging of ideas that have failed us. They've failed to bring us together. They've failed to bring uh, prosperity to every person in the world. So speaking from a Catholic with a small C perspective, the greater reset is looking to those universals which are part of human nature that are given to us, they're inherent in us. And that if we're to rebuild our social systems, these are man-made creations, we have to start with those eternal truths. Yeah, yeah from my perspective as, as the technician sort of, when we t- what the great reset is talking about is not a reset at all, as Don pointed out, it's basically, if you really wanted to give it a more descriptive name, it would be the, the, the great extension because what they've done, Klaus Schwab, and I assume that they did this with all the best intentions in the world, 
because the problems that they out that Schwab and his co-authors outline in their books, they're very real problems, but it's the wrong solution. We don't do more of what has failed in the past. What Klaus Schwab has done, and from an en he's an engineer, I believe, and what he's done is look at the current Keynesian system, and whether you're talking Keynesian or post-Keynesian, you're talking the same things, the same assumptions. And what Keynes did was say, everybody needs to have a job so that they can consume. The only way ordinary people can have income is to work at a job, whether or not they produce anything. Production is irrelevant. Hmm. Whether your job is meaningful is completely meaningless. I mean, it, there's, there are so many contradictions in Keynesian economics that it would take a couple hours just to outline them. But what Schwab did was perfectly logically say, why do you need a job just to get income? Why not just redistribute from the people who have to the people who don't have? And we'll come up with a justification for this. And we'll say that we're resetting all of society. Well, you're not resetting it. You're just removing one obstacle to taking from A and giving to B. But what we're talking about in the greater reset and actually, if we wanted to be more accurate, we, we would say that what we're talking about is a great reset, as opposed to Schwab's and the World Economic Forum's great expansion, is probably about, to be very crude about it, about 250 years ago, things really started getting off track in society. You had a financial revolution, you had political revolutions, but most important from the day-to-day viewpoint of every single person, you had an industrial revolution. The mode of production changed from primarily human labor to primarily technology. And as technology began advancing faster and faster, human labor became less and less involved in it, and more and more people became alienated from the means of production. I realize I'm starting to talk with Marxist rhetoric here, but what happened was that from working with your own tools in your own business on your own land or in your own factory or whatever, you became a wage earner. You became a replaceable uh, element in the production process. If you didn't uh, want to work for the wages they paid, they could get somebody else. Almost, you can almost always find someone who will work for less than you do if there's no nothing stopping it. One so, of the things, Michael, one of the things that scares me is I've I've seen uh, one of uh, Klaus Schwab's colleagues, Yuval Harari. They're talking about uh, building robots, and because uh, human human beings or the the, the blue collar human labor should be irrelevant or could be irrelevant, and that we could end up going into you know building robots which again would be part of this uh, industrial revolution. I guess we would call it the fourth industrial revolution. Duh. But back, back to the, your book, why would this book be of interest to Catholics? Well, it's not just interest to Catholics, it's to interest to, to every single human being because the basic principles are natural law and natural law is written in the hearts of all men as was infallibly declared in the First Vatican Council in 1869. So that the, 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 the natural law principles, they are the basis of Catholic social teaching, but by extension, they're also the, 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 the essential basis for the social teaching of every faith or philosophy that is human-based, because natural law is part of what it means to be human. In fact, uh, a lot of people have, have uh, understood this. You can look at the foundational documents of this country, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. They were influenced by Catholic thinkers. You could see they're using natural law rhetoric in the founding documents of this country. You also see uh, the great Reverend Martin Luther King from his jail in Birmingham, Alabama. He was arguing for the civil rights movement based on natural law. He wasn't using scripture. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, that's a powerful argument that you make. And in fact... Father Robert Sirico, president of the Acton Institute, here's what he says about your book. Then I want to get Don's take. He says, this book forces us to ask if the reset being proposed after the lockdown is in fact the reset at all, or perhaps is actually a retrenchment of inadequate Keynesian policy prescriptions. The greater reset is a consideration of what economic personalism 
and the natural law may have to offer. I am not at all sure that binary economics is the answer, but the refreshing manner in which the argument is made invites a serious conversation which has been lacking up until now. It will be intriguing to watch Father Robert Sirico, President Emeritus of the Acton Institute. Uh, Don, let me ask you a question. Uh, your colleague said, of course, this is going to be of interest to Catholics and non-Catholics. What say you, Don? Well, first of all, I'm going to say um, that I myself am not Catholic. However, um, and I, I can consider myself a deep believer in God, and I try to learn from all the faiths. And it happens that our organization, the Center for Economic and Social Justice, was co-founded by Father William Faree, who was considered a leading global scholar in the thought of Pius XI, particularly with regard to the ideas of uh, defining social justice and the act of social justice. And that's become a great part of my thinking, as well as what we call the just third way. And essentially, and this is interesting because Mike, he sort of leaped right into the economics of this. And we, we do believe that economics is the most basic side of human activity. It's the most, um, not the highest, it is the lowest form of activity. It's what we do to survive, but it's also forms uh, the material basis for us to pursue higher uh, spiritual needs of human beings and how we relate to not only our, each other and nature, but also to God. So we look at economics as just one aspect of where the human being is either becomes a cog in the machinery, becomes a competitor to our own tools and technologies, or each person can become the master of technologies and tools and a good steward of nature. So when Mike referred to Keynes, Keynesian economics, um, it, it's really the, the basic assumptions underlying that, and Mike will get more into how this relates to things like uh, property and money and credit, is that Keynes assumes that government is going to be the solution to all of our problems. And so government becomes where power starts, where rights start. Uh, Thomas Hobbes viewed societies really in, in and government as really where rights come from. Either uh, this is the government or the collective. We believe, according to uh, Aristotelian and Thomistic principles, that power, that dignity and power and rights start with each human being. And this is something we are endowed by the creator. So this is nothing that the collective, other people, government has the right to take away from us. And one of the fundamental rights in terms of people's power, and so how they become independent in order to pursue their, really their human development and the development of society and the common good is to have property. And by this, we don't mean things. We're talking about the rights that an owner has with respect to the things he owns, which will be the right to the fruits and the right Don, of control. Don, we're coming to a hard break. I want you to stay, stick around for the next segment. We're listening to Don and Michael, authors of The Greater Reset. We'll be right back. Stick around. Good stuff. Here's a great way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Do you have an old car you want to get rid of, motorcycle, RV, or boat? Simply call 855-500-7433, and when they sell that vehicle, a portion of that money comes right back to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It's an easy way to do it. I want to thank you for it. Call 855-500-7433. God love you and your family. Our Lenten Journey, a reflection from St. John Paul II. 
Jesus took human suffering upon himself and illuminated it with the radiant light of his resurrection. By his death, he conquered death once for all. During Lent, we prepare to relive the Paschal mystery, which sheds the light of hope upon the whole of our existence, even its most complex and painful aspects. Lent is a season of intense prayer, fasting, and concern for those in need. It offers all Christians an opportunity to prepare for Easter by serious discernment about their lives, with particular attention to the Word of God, which enlightens the daily journey of all who believe. Let us set out with trust on our Lenten journey, sustained by fervent prayer, penance, and concern for those in need. I'm Matthew Arnold, and this has been a Lenten Reflection from St. John Paul II on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Great book that just came out from 10. It's called The Greater Reset. We have the authors, Don Brohan and Michael Greeny. And they're, they're giving us, again, an analysis of what The Great Reset is and what The Greater Reset is for us, what it means for us. And so my question is to to Michael or Don, what is, you already started talking about it, but we can go a little bit deeper. What is the Catholic social teaching and how does it relate to the greater reset? You started alluding to it already, but if you can uh, repeat it again for those just tuning in right now. Well, the basis of Catholic social teaching, as it is for all social teachings that are human related or, or have some respect for human dignity is natural law. That is what is written in the hearts of every single human being. This is so important that the Catholic Church decided they had to declare this infallibly in 1869 as if it wasn't obvious. But the, the big problem there was that for more than half a century before the First Vatican Council, you had had something called the new things. This was socialism, modernism, and the New Age. Uh, they weren't called that back then. They acquired these names later. But what they did was shift from the human person as the basis of natural law and, of course, our, our society in the world, you know, civil society, domestic society, and say, oh, no, it's not based on reason because the natural law and knowledge of God's existence can be discerned by the force and light of human reason alone. This was declared infallibly in the First Vatican Council. It was the first article in the Oath Against Modernism. Pius XII declared it in Humani Generis in paragraph two. You can, everybody, man, as Aristotle said, is the animal that reasons. So everyone can know that God exists and, of, and the natural law. Now, how you interpret it, that's another thing personally, but what they, the new things did was shift it to opinion personal faith that didn't have to be correlated with reason. I mean, Thomas philosophy says faith and reason. Modernism, socialism, and the New Age say, oh, no, 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 you don't need that. You can split the human head in two, as Chesterton said, and have, <coughs> excuse me, you can, what you believe by faith doesn't necessarily have to coincide with what you believe by reason and vice versa. Now, how this relates to the Great Reset is that if you look at the fundamental principles that Schwab outlines in his books, and then you look at what was said uh, uh, 200 years ago by the proto-socialists and the modernists, it's the same thing. In some cases, it's almost verbatim that the most important thing in life is to be taken care of materially. And if you're talking about spiritual needs, well, that's just your personal opinion. It doesn't have to relate to anything else on earth. So that what Schwab has done in the Great Reset, and I'll be honest, the Great Reset is a brilliant piece of work. 
but it takes the wrong assumptions about economics, it takes the wrong assumptions about human nature, and as Pope Francis has pointed out, it even takes the wrong uh, uh, you know, assumptions about God. So how does the great, the, gr the great Reset fit into Catholic social teaching? Well, Catholic social teaching came into being in 1832 as a discrete area to counter the new things, and it's been an uphill fight ever since. Don, you want to add something to that? Yes. Um, I, I'm going to just uh, hone in on one particular uh, encyclical that has really, I think it, it bears uh, great relevance to our condition today and how we can change those things that are uh, destroying human life. Um, and, and that is in Quadragesimo Anno, Pius XI defined the act of social justice and what social justice is. And it's not something that's done collectively in order to uh, create a generally good environment for people um, or even to address all the individual needs that we have. It's really goes to the idea of how we create as human beings what differentiates us among other things from the animals, is we create invisible tools, institutions, as ways of enhancing our ability to develop as individual beings as well as social beings. So this is something, for example, if we look at our laws, our, our, our monetary systems, our tax systems, corporations, invisible things that actually make it much more efficient in terms of how we develop. So when an in institution is badly structured, it excludes uh, all parties who are involved from participating fully. So what Pius XI was looking at was defects in our institutions that he, he said, you don't destroy your institutions, you must correct them. And you have to start from the right principle. And that is always, and this relates to the great reset versus the greater reset, where the great reset looks to government or the elite to have the power and the means to help supposedly take care of everyone. Um, the greater reset, going back to that notion of social justice is that power must start in with each human being, power and rights. And it is our personal responsibility not to, to just sit and let problems continue and fester and finally perhaps destroy us, but to organize, this is a personal responsibility on, on each person to organize with others, to identify specifically what the problem is and to correct those things that are generally going to, um, the, the defects are generally regarding participation. And that means by everyone, every individual being able to participate and access the common good or distribution, and that is, you know, what kind of rewards you get from your for your contributions. So one of the problems is uh, on the level of social justice. We need to know that there is a way of fixing what people messed up, uh, but we have to start with common principles that all of us uh, can benefit from. Um, and so that I would say is. That's key. Another thing in the encyclical that that Leo the Thirteenth and Pius the Eleventh and John the Twenty Third and Pope John Paul II have emphasized was the need for every person to be able to own the things that are creating goods and services. That you call them the means of production. That each of us must be able to own, so we're not owned. So what this book looks at is not only that principle which that distinguishes us, you know, where does power, is it from the elite, is it from government, or does it start with us? It's us coming together and organizing ar around right principles. So one of the things we, we look at in this book is not only, okay, if capital ownership, owning those robots that are going to replace us, it's not bad, you know, if to lose a job to a robot, if you own the robot and you get the income that the robot creates. So that's what we're talking about, connecting human beings through private property, free market mechanisms to the, the means of becoming a capital owner, being becoming independent economically so that you can pursue the higher 
um, activities, needs of human beings. So how do you do that? We'll talk about it has to do with money and credit, that institution. Absolutely. By the way, you're listening to Don Brohan and Michael Greeny. By the way, Don, you'd make a good Catholic. You know a Catholic social teaching better than most Catholics. I'm just saying, as I'm listening to you. uh, Thank you. Well, she gets that from her father, uh, Dr. Norman Curlin, president of the Center for Economic and Social Justice. Ah, okay, he, okay. Well, he's I'm, Jewish, but the late Father Miller, who is head of the Central Bureau of the Catholic Central Union of America, said that even though Norm's Jewish, he knows Catholic social teaching better than most Catholics. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm listening to Don speak. I'm saying, what? She sounds like a Catholic professor on social justice. But, uh, but let me ask you guys this question. So what's the difference between individual virtue and social virtue? And a second question is property. Property is important. We know that even from a Catholic perspective. But what is it? So there's two questions. What's the difference between individual virtue and social virtue? And then property, it's important. We know that. But what is it? Any one of you? Well, I can give a stab at the difference between individual and social virtue. Think of a a, a matrix in your head. You've got the individual good and the common good. Then you've got people as individuals and people as members of groups. Now, the main difference between individual virtue and social virtue is that individual virtue looks directly to the to individual good, the good of individuals, actual people. It doesn't matter how many there are. It's the good that the individual enjoys or develops. And indirectly to the common good. The common good is that vast network of institutions that people create within which we carry out our social life. And which includes, of course, economic life. So individual virtue looks directly to individual good indirectly to the common good. Social virtue is exactly the opposite. Social virtue, and this is so important that Father Fareed made point of it, says nobody figured this out until Pius XI saw it in Thomas Aquinas in an obscure passage. Social virtue looks directly to the common good, which up until Pius XI made it clear, people thought, you can't access the common good directly. Yes, you can as a member of an organized group. So social virtue directly to the common good, indirectly, and this this is the the mistake all the socialists, modernists, and new agers make, social justice is not just individual justice on a big scale. No, it's something specific. It's directed to the common good, but only indirectly to individual good. Mm -hmm. To oversimplify somewhat, social virtue enables individual virtue. It doesn't substitute for it or replace it. And I, I should also, there, there are two important words that come to mind. One is that virtue, what is it? Uh, Father Fareed described it as habits, good habits. Uh, it could be being honest, being generous, being uh, hardworking. Um, treating other people fairly and and that's that's and giving people what they are due that is critical we're coming coming to a hard break hold that thought we'll be up next don brohan michael greeny the greater reset coming to a hard break the terry and jesse show stick around good stuff you don't want to miss what's up next If you shop on Amazon.com, there's an easy way to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR and may God richly bless you and your family.
How does the baby move in your tummy? How does the baby eat? Can the baby hear me? How did the baby get in there? Wow, a pregnancy can sure generate a lot of questions. But what's important is that a baby is a baby inside and out of the womb, not just after birth, but nine months before at conception. That's right, every baby is a miracle. Hello, my name is Marianne Kuharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance, or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org, or better yet, simply dial pound 250 on your cell phone and say the keyword pro-life. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Fascinating discussion. We're all affected by the Great Reset, and we know who some of the players are. You got Yuval Harari, you got uh, Bill Gates, you got Klaus Schwab, Zuckerberg, Barack Obama, ETAL. We have two authors that have responded to the architects of the Great Reset. Their book is called The Greater Reset. And uh, both of you are talking about modernism they've 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 imposed attempted to impose new things on the world which obviously are not working both of you responded in this book the greater reset but both of you place emphasis on the role of money and credit so why do you think that your solution will work uh if it isn't that the problem that we have too much money and credit being involved here What's your solution? What's your response to those architects of the Great Reset? Uh, any Don, you want to go first? Uh, yes. Well, I think that um, to I, I'll go back to your previous question, which I don't think we got to, and that has to do with what is property, which is the set of rights that an owner has with regard to the thing owned. It's the right to the fruit, full stream of income and also the right of control. So this is critical in terms of how money comes into creation. And today, the way um, the money systems of the world work is that uh, money, the forms of money are backed by government debt. So they are not backed by things of real value. So what, what happens is we're in a system that if you don't own, it's going to be very hard for you to get the credit so that you could become an owner. In other words, if you have no assets and you go to the bank to get a loan, not for consumer good, but for, for to own capital, they'll ask you, you know, what do you have in case you don't pay, repay the loan? But what, what do you have is collateral? And, you know, most of us will say, well, not much, if anything. So this becomes a structural impediment to participate as a capital owner. So we, what we're saying, and this goes back to natural law also, that Private property, the right to become an owner is universal and absolute. The rights of what you own, private property, how you ex exercise what you own, those are limited according to, it may be circumstances within a society, its level of technology, many different things, but also those rights of property must be applied equally and fairly to everyone. So going back to the importance of money and credit, if you think of today, and this is really, it's horrible. I think I can just see the acceleration of this idea of money as a commodity that you can buy and sell and become richer and richer and richer from just the trading and creation of money. And it is a way also that keeps the government strong and it, it uh, prevents new 
uh, people, new companies from entering the, the marketplace. So there are many things that happen if you have control over the money system. And if it's used not to enable everyone to become an owner of productive capital, but pretty much maintain the speculative approach to becoming rich, which is that Mike has the figures of how the wealthiest people during the pandemic increased their wealth by about 40%. These are the top billionaires, 40% while everyone else's income was falling. Now, how did that happen? It had to do with our the way we view uh, shares of stock uh, capital and money also, who had access to it. So what's key in our idea is how in an organized, principled way can money be brought in into being in order to lubricate the processes of, of growth, sustainable growth, but in ways that create new owners, that enable each of us to become owners of future capital without taking anything away from present owners, meaning not damaging their private property rights. Yeah, essentially what you have are two competing philosophies or theories of what money is. The one that is predominant in the world today, and it's only about uh, 150 or 200 years old, is that you need money to carry out economic transactions. The quantity of money theory, the quantity of money determines economic activity, even whether you can you know, be alive or do anything at all. The theory that binary economics and the whole just third way is based on is exactly the opposite, that economic activity determines money. Money comes from production. Production doesn't come from money. And the, entire, the, the global banking system was set up, was designed on the one theory, but applied on the other theory. So if you want to know why the whole thing is messed up, just look, you're, what you're doing is using something designed to do one thing in exactly the wrong way. So of course, it's going to be messed up. So the reason that money and credit is so important, it is because by means of access to money, that people can become owners of the capital that will empower them with control over their own lives and liberty. So if you want to avoid something like what Putin is doing in Russia, you need to empower all the Russians. If you want to help Ukraine, for example, rebuild Ukraine after the devastation, the best way to do it is not to go around begging for money, but to use the rebuilding itself to finance it from future profits of the rebuilding. And this is actually an important point, is the, these ideas of finance, broaden ownership finance, and really the, the principles of economic justice underlying them, those were the contributions of Lewis Kelso and Mortimer Adler. And the idea of finance, he was a corporate finance lawyer, was that, and, uh, that people without any savings, any collateral, if they had access to a loan that was for a feasible productive project, meaning that you, there was a you know, greater than 75% uh, chance that a loan will be repaid based on good management, markets, customers with money. If you can get a loan and you could uh, convince a lender that this is a, you know, a good plan, and by the way, we have collateral, and Kelso came up with a new way for non-owners to get collateral, and that's insurance, capital credit insurance, then you can use your loan to buy the new capital, which will create new goods and services in the future, which create profits to repay the loan. After the loan is repaid, all the income that your capital generates is now yours as an owner. You are entitled to the full stream of income. So this is, um, it takes you out of the trap we're in right now. One is you have to have money to, you know, to, to make money. Well, you don't have to use people's past savings to acquire capital. And that's a key, very key point. Otherwise, the past controls the future. What Mike was saying is if you have a productive project, it, you know, you don't have the products created yet, but you can say with very high certainty, because there's been a pattern in the past that you, you know, you're, you're a good company, you can get a loan to purchase things that will pay for themselves. 
So if we can extend this, and this was done for employees, uh, for corporate employees, Kelso did, did the first one in 1956, and there was a law put in place in 1973 that suddenly made this approach employee stock ownership plans you know, much more widely used. Now, unfortunately, there's a couple problems with the ESOP, and that is one, not everyone works for a corporation. Um, and number two, it's still the question of where company ESOPs can borrow on behalf of the employees, where they're gonna get the money. So you're always constrained by this Keynesian notion that money is either something created by the government, which we're saying it's not, Kelso would say, money is really just a way of measuring value. It's a symbol for real goods and services. If you're constrained by that notion that it's it, it in itself has it value in itself, meaning that would justify the speculation on money that's going on now. That's where the, you know, how people are getting richer. But if you think of money as based on trust, you mentioned that earlier, the importance of trust, money and credit depends on trust, not only amongst those of us who carry on transactions, but to have the whole system operating in the way it's supposed to, which is to bring about new growth. But with the key, this was Kelso's point, you must create new owners of that wealth that produces goods and services, or you're going to have a further concentration of power. And it will either be the government ends up taking control or an elite. And that is what the Great Reset even with the best of intentions, when they talk about universal basic income, that the owners will give a portion of what they earned and spread it around. So all of us, including them, get $1,000 you know, a week or month or whatever. That is just completely so muddled in its thinking. And it's all, it will inevitably result in further concentration of power. Would it be a fair statement to say that the Great, the great Reset is also a synonym for uh, build back better? Is it a synonym for uh, uh, for the new world order? Are, are, are those synonyms of the great reset, the new world order, build back better? I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're synonyms, but they are related. Okay. It's, it's, it, it's the same assumptions driving them. Okay. That you need past savings in order to do anything. You, you need the super rich to be able to advance economically. Well, if that were the case, then where did the super rich get their, their wealth? I mean, the whole idea that you need to save out of production in order to produce, it, it, it's contradictory. If you can only save out of production, where did the first production come from? Well, the banking principle on which binary economics and, of course, the whole just third way is based assumes that you can take the present value of something you're going to produce in the future and turn that into money. And that can be done for anybody. You don't need to have money right now to do it. You can create money, which is what commercial banking and central banking was invented to do. And, and I think also those terms, they can mean opposite things. And we should take that into consideration. And, and that is, oh, for no, example- Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I hear the music. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> get the book. Get the book, The Greater Reset by Michael Greeny, Don Brohan. 10books.com, 10books.com. Get the book. Get a couple of copies. Pass them around to your friends. The Greater Reset, 10books.com, 10books.com. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much, Don. Well, God bless you. You've done a great service to, to the human race, uh, to, to the church. Thank you very much for your contributions. God bless you. We'll see you next time on the Terry and Jesse Show. Have a great evening. Faustina's Prayer for Priests. O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests 
so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.